Amen, amen. Hey, we good this morning? Ready again, God's Word, 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you uh, have a Bible, get there with me. If you don't have a Bible, you see Bibles on those seatbacks in front of you, grab it. If you don't own a Bible, leave with that. We would love for you to have that, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. And as we uh, start today, I just want to put a picture on the screen. So as you settle in God's Word, I will, we'll leave this picture up here a bit. And I kind of want this, um, this picture a bit to kind of set the, the tone of the day. Uh, we have been walking through the book of 1 Timothy because... Um, Right in the middle of this book, uh, we are told that the purpose of this book is that uh, the, the household of God would know how to behave, would know how to live together. And so there's a lot of things in this book that, that almost can feel a bit procedural. I know a couple times throughout the series, people have been like, man, I feel like these are the types of things you would hear in like a church membership class. And you're right, they are. Uh, because uh, we're looking to God's word to guide us and how is this whole thing called the church to, to operate. Um, but then um, as we come to a passage today, we get into a section of the letter that really guides how the interaction of the household is to happen. Specifically with a, with a few um, specific groups of people within the household. And, and so today we come to just, we, we just have two verses today. And that doesn't mean that I will preach a less than 30-minute sermon, okay? Um, just two verses today, and, and really the, the, the verses are pretty straightforward. Like as we read these, there's not really a lot to unpack. Like, oh, I don't understand what that's saying. They're pretty straightforward. Um, but today the application of these two verses is so, so crucial to the health of this household. Because uh, what, what Paul's going to do to Timothy as a young minister is he's going to guide Timothy in these, first, in these uh, two verses today into how to interact with the differing generations within the household of God. And, and that's, a, that's a really important thing. And so I, I have this picture up because I want us to think about those times that we gather as a family with our extended family and the multiple generations of the family are present. You with me there? So if we can get into a dining room or a living room with a, a family and the multi-generations present and, and maybe, uh, you know, uh, some great-grandmothers or great-grandfathers interacting with great-grandchildren and parents interacting with grown sons and daughters. And, and I want us to just think about what happens in times like that. Uh, maybe even in our own experiences where we have, we've just been sitting at a table or sitting in a living room and all of a sudden our grandparents begin to talk about a time that we don't know and we're just captivated by the wisdom that is pouring out. Uh, this type of family feel has to guide the way the church of God operates together. Kind of the, the big idea of today is this, in the household of God we love like family. Now, that doesn't really sound profound, because especially if you've grown up in church environments, you have probably heard the phrases church family again and again and again. But if you're like me, uh, like growing up in the church, I could hear the phrase church family, but, but I wouldn't necessar necessarily say we always really operated like a family. You with me on that? Is that too critical? We good? And so what does it really look like for us to interact like a household? or interact like a family, and how do we let the Word of God guide into how those interactions cross-generationally look? Now, this is so important because typically in culture, culture can struggle to have like cross-generational respect and love for one another. Do you agree with that? 
that it's kind of it's easy to pick on the, the generation behind us or it's easy to pick on the generation in front of us. But as Jesus followers and as a place that's called the household of God, uh, we must be a family that's gathered around the gospel of Jesus as the centerpiece of the family. And if, we, and if we're people who are, who are ultimately united, not by the fact that we are blood relatives, but by the fact that we've been, we're, we're relatives who've been bought by the blood of Christ, man, what would that look like lived out? And shouldn't culture look in on this household and go, wow, they, they look different in how they interact and love the differing generations. And so God's word's going to guide us into that today. Uh, let me pray for his help, and then let's get into it. Father, uh, we, we pray as we look at just two verses from your word, Lord, uh, we pray for the application of it. God, we pray that you would give us great wisdom and discernment on, on how you want us to live this out. And so, God, I, I ask for your help now as, as the word is preached. I ask for your help as the word is heard. Uh, God, I ask for your help as we seek to be doers of your word to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read these two verses, 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. I've broken these two verses into just two points for us today, and I want to focus this first point on this. I love the older members of the household like parents. I will love the older members of the household like parents. Now, um, we come to this instruction here as Paul writes to Timothy. Again, he's guiding a young minister and to how he's inter to interact with the different genders and different generations within the church. And he starts with this. He says, do not, Timothy, do not rebuke an older man. Now, this word rebuke, we see it multiple times. We see the English word rebuke multiple times throughout the New Testament. But the, the, the word behind this English translation of rebuke, this is actually the only place in Scripture that we see this word present. This idea of rebuke here, is, uh, it, it, it carries with it a strong harshness, almost a, a, a violent feel to it. And, and Timothy, or, or Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, do not rebuke. Do not bring strong harshness. Do not bring a tone of violence towards the older men in the household. Translation for our day, you don't get to tell off the older men and women in the household of God. That's not how it is to work. He says, do not rebuke, and then he gets to an important word for, to understand these two verses here, because this word carries with it over into every part of the relationships that Paul is going to unpack here. Do not rebuke an older man, but, what's it say, but what? But encourage. Now, again, that's a word we use a lot, encourage. Typically, and, and interact with me a bit, typically when we, when we think of encouraging, what do we think of? Good job. What else? Way to go. I love it. We, we kind of think of encouragement as just this like, I'm saying a really nice thing to you right now. And, and yet when we unpack this, this idea of encouragement, Paul is telling Timothy, uh, do not rebuke an older man. And remember what, remember what Timothy's dealing with here. 
He's dealing with some false teaching that's going on in the household that's undermining the, the, the truth of the gospel that Timothy actually has a responsibility, uh, no doubt a lot of times to come alongside some of the older men in the congregation and provide some guidance and direction on teaching and on what they're believing. And, and Paul says not, not with a rebuke, not, not, not with a strong harshness, instead with an encouragement. Encouragement is loving exhortation. Encouragement is loving exhortation. I've said this before many times from the pulpit, but you know those people in your life who, like, they are just godly men and women, godly mentors in your life. And they, they take you to coffee or they sit across a chair from you in your living room and, 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 and they're there to provide some correction in your life and they say some hard things into your life and yet as they do, you sense the love, you sense the building up that the Spirit of God is doing in that and though they've delivered a hard thing, you walk out hugging, thankful, and and your heart is full as you leave. This is what Paul is getting at as he writes to Timothy here. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage. Give loving exhortation. And then he says something that takes a bit of the abstract notion of encouragement and makes it more concrete. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a, a father. Okay, so think about that. We know that the word of God calls us to honor father and mother. And so as Paul writes here, he's like, hey, Timothy, encourage older men. And Timothy's like, got it, right. Just, be, you know, be encouraging. Say nice thing to older men. And Paul's like, no, no, listen, like you would your dad. What would that look like? Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Now this word encourage, it tethers to father. It tethers to younger men as brothers, as he says later. And, and I want to go to verse 2 a second. And it tethers to older women as mothers. So encourage the older women also in the church like you would your own mother. And so if we think about this, and, and I, I fully understand, right? I fully understand that, it, that as you hear this, all of us uh, kind of come from different backgrounds of what relationships look like with mom and dad. And so I, I totally understand that there's kind of all different baggage in the room as it pertains to, to, the, to what it looks like. But scriptural mandate of honoring father and mother is to guide the way we think about living like a family and honoring those who are the older men and older women in the household. This is what God wants it to look like, that his household is a place where younger generations are honoring older generations like mother and like father. Wouldn't this be beautiful to see lived out? Come on, are you with me? Like, wouldn't it be beautiful to, be, to, to see a place with the gospel as a centerpiece that's living like family, where the younger generations are honoring the older generations in such a way that Paul is encouraging Timothy to, uh, to, to, to live with and speak to and interact with the older men and the older women in the congregation. Now, because uh, today is really just these two verses, there's, there's really, they're really pretty straightforward. Uh, today is going to be much more application heavy than might be typical for a sermon you'd hear me preach. But I, but I really want us to understand and why I kind of rearranged the way the series was going to go and just focused in on these two verses is because I really want us to think about now how do we apply what's lived out here. And so what does it look like to love the older generation like parents here at Redeemer? You ready for this? 
got four things for you on this. What does it look like for us to love the older generation like parents? First, it means having a heart, having a what? Having a heart that respects the members older than us. It first starts with a heart, doesn't it? The next three things I'm going to list under this are going to be more practical in nature, but without the heart, it doesn't matter what I'm going to list next. What does it look like for us to develop a heart that respects the older, the members older than us within the household of God? What's it look like to love? What's it look like to truly view them like mother, like father, and how we interact with them? The second thing, it assumes interaction with members older than us. This, 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 this passage assumes that. And now if I can, let me take us back to some of the um, teaching we did early on in the series on this idea of household. Again, we, we said, I think, week two of this series, when we think of the word household, we often think of our nuclear family. And we have, you, typically as we think about it, parents and kids, and then the other generations, you know, scatter, and, and we have to be more intentional to interact with them. The household in this day was much more intergenerational than we might be used to in our culture and in our day. And so um, there's an assumption here that the, 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 the generations are interacting within the household. Now, we live in a day where it's super easy to be part of a household of God and to come and pretty much only interact with the people within our generational sphere. Like, we can show up on a Sunday, we can sit in the relatively same place, we can interact with those who are a like generation than us, we can get into a discipleship group, and at times those can be all of the same generation. And so this assumes that there's interaction with the members in the congregation older than us. Our church launched in 2015, and in 2016, uh, one of our uh, now deacons uh, ran a, just a report on the congregation, and I remember one number on that report vividly still to this day. And that number was the average age of our church about a year into the life of our congregation. Does anyone know what the average age of this church was one year into our church plant? Any guesses? I have no prizes for you if you get it right, okay? Any guesses? 30.5 years old. I was 29 I saw that number and I went, oh no. Praise God for all of the young people our church had reached, but we began to pray, Lord, send us wisdom. We didn't pray, send us old people, okay? <laughs> the prayer was, send us wisdom. And God began to answer that prayer. But I'll say to the younger folks in this, and young, right, young, what's young mean? I was preaching a sermon one time, not at this church, and I was given an illustration. I said, you know, hey, those of you in midlife, you know, the 40-year-old guy, and I, man, some guy came up to me after and lit me up. He said, I am not midlife, man. I'm 41 years old. What are you calling me midlife? I said, bro, listen, if the average age of an American male is about 79 years old, newsflash, midlife. <laughs> Be encouraged today. Some of you, it just sunk in. You're like, I'm midlife. Like, <laughs> but we began to pray, Lord, send us wisdom. And the Lord began to answer that. But now let me say to the younger generation in this church, that wisdom is only as good as the, what you lean into it. 
It assumes there's interaction. I'm telling you, some of the sweetest, sweetest, sweetest times for me early on in pastoral ministry, like 21, 22, 23 years old, were visiting some of the members of our congregation who were uh, not able to, to get out and join us on Sunday mornings and to sit with them in their homes or in a nursing facility and to listen to their zeal and passion for the Lord. We must be interacting together intergenerationally. Third thing, it guides the way we speak about the members older than us. So I think as Paul, remember what, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to bring the application on these two verses here. And I think it's really important that for the younger generations in our church that the way we speak about the older members of the household is dripping, is soaked with honor. Uh, I was, uh, somewhere, a couple of years ago, there was this phrase that got popular, okay, boomer. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, boomer. I remember the first time I heard it, I was, you know, in a house somewhere and, uh, you know, a teenage son, a, a dad had said something, a teenage son, and, and you know, the dad was giving instruction and the son walks away, okay, boomer. And I was like, you little punk. No, seriously, like there was this indignation in me, and not to say that I've never been someone who's not, who, you know, who's disrespected the generation before me, but this idea of okay boomer, it dismisses or mocks the generation before us, and it completely undermines the wisdom that God has given to that generation. As one New York Times uh, article headline says, okay boomer makes the end of friendly generational differences. And so I, I just say to us, right, sometimes even in, in, in joking, and I've been guilty of it, in joking or, or in passing, that we can say things that aren't respectful of the generation in front of us. But as, as people who've been blood-bought by Jesus Christ, there should be a marked difference in how we talk with honor about those that we view within this household like fathers and like mothers. And now, if you're younger and you're like, yeah, but they make fun of us. They make fun of millennials. I know, hold on, I'm getting there. <laughs> Sometimes we deserve it, but I am getting there. I am getting there. And then this fourth thing, it means bringing a heart to learn from the members older than us. Uh, some of the people sitting in the same row of, with you right now have spent more hours in prayer than you've been alive. I was in a meeting last week uh, with some just wonderful, godly Christian businessmen from around Indianapolis, and we were trying to just solve through some different things, and how does the business community and the churches work together for the kingdom of God, and right, we're all like throwing ideas out, and we're zealous, and just one brilliant, brilliant young guy, he just raised his hand and just politely but directly just said, hey, for the rest of the time, could we just hear from the people in the room 60 and above? And I was like, oh, so convicted. And for the rest of the time, as we abided by that wisdom, the wisdom God brought into the room, a spirit of prayerfulness, some of the, some of the, the, the older men and women who were there who had just kind of uh, uh, humbly sat back, leaned forward, and, and had just, it, was, it was beautiful, beautiful, godly wisdom, but it means bringing a heart to learn from the members older than us. So what, what does it look like for us 
to think about this, to, to not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, to encourage the older women as we would, as we would mothers, that this would guide the interactions of the household of God. But now secondly, I believe what Paul's trying to do here with Timothy is he's giving him guidance on how he's to interact with every generation in the church. And so the, the second part of the message is how will, how will uh, we love, how will we love the younger members of the household like siblings? How will you love the younger members of the household like siblings? And so you look back at these verses, do not rebuke an older man, but there's the optimal word there, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as, younger men as what? As brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as? as sisters, and then he adds this on the end, in all purity. And now, it, it's my belief, and if you disagree with me on this, it, it, it's okay. It doesn't change the meaning of the passage, uh, you know, too extensively. But my belief is that Paul is guiding Timothy on the interactions of the whole household. So it's not this, 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 this uh, encouragement on how he's to interact with younger men and younger women isn't necessarily just saying those who are younger than him, but it's a statement to describe those who are in general younger within the household. So in general, Timothy, how should you interact with the younger men in the church and the younger women in the church? And, and he, he says, you interact with the younger men like you would a brother. So we say, think about this. We, aren't just, we don't just attend the same church. And we're not just friends in Christ. We're truly brothers and sisters. And again, I know, right, if you grew up in Christian circles, you're so used to that phrase, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. Actually, when I started pursuing today Erica, I would write her emails, not letters. I should have written letters, but emails. And I would just sign them like, your brother in Christ. She's like, you are so corny, like, right? Like, I'm like, I want to date you. But your brother in Christ. <laughs> but how would this guide the way that we interact? What if we really did think of those, you know, of our same generation and younger truly as brothers, as little brothers in the faith? What if we would think of this household that truly as sisters? And then Paul gives a very, very important um, uh, tag on to him, his guidance to Timothy and how he interacts with the younger women in the church when he says, in all purity. Come on, church, right? In all purity. If we're brothers and sisters, then for, for, the, for the men in the church, the way you interact with the younger women in the church is in all purity, in mind and speech and in action. In all purity. It's to guide the interactions of the household because we are to love one another like family. Do not rebuke an older man. Encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. Oh Lord, help that guide the way we live as a household. And so, like I did just a few minutes ago, I want to do the same thing now with some application, loving the younger generation like siblings. How do we live that out? How do we truly live like brothers and sisters? So first, and, and uh, I'm kind of gearing this now to maybe the older demographic in our church, um, it means having a heart that respects the members younger than us. 
that yes, can at times hear things that you're like, okay, they, you know, they maybe don't have a full-orbed picture of this, but, but, but loving and leading and treating the younger members in the household like little brothers and like little sisters in the faith. How would that guide? Uh, second, it assumes interaction with members younger than us. Man, I, how I desire and how I think we as elders desire to see these tightest two relationships happening in our church where there's older women sitting and guiding younger women, where, where older men in our church are, are sitting with and guiding the younger men in our church. And I would just encourage you, as you are part of this household, as God puts younger men, younger women on your heart, that you would, that you would go intentionally invite them into your life. Can we have coffee? Can we go to lunch? Uh, for me, as a 19-year-old uh, college freshman, there was about a 35-year-old man named Kurt Glancy who one Sunday morning, he put his big old paw into my hand. He said, hey, I'm Kurt. Do you want to go to lunch Thursday? And I'm like, who are you? And there we were at lunch week after week. And then a couple weeks in, he said, hey, would you want to read a book with me called Disciplines of a Godly Man? And there we were at Arnie's eating pizza, reading Disciplines of a Godly Man, inviting me into reading through pastoral epistles like this. What would that look like? Um, it, we need the older generation within the household to deeply interact into the discipleship rhythms that our church has. We, we need the older members of the household in kids' ministry. We need you in student ministry. You're like, oh, that's ridiculous. They won't think I'm cool. Listen, our teenagers don't need cool. They need godliness. Right on cue, I got your money for you. <laughs> so you don't wear a backwards trucker hat. I don't even know if that's cool. I'm not cool, okay? Like, they, they need wisdom. Let me, let me just say this. Um, you don't get to retire from shepherding the next generation of the church. I love you, and I'm going to speak to you now like fathers and mothers. The amount of times I've heard, hey, we've put our time in in kids' ministry through the years. I'm like, praise God. Go punch the clock some more. And that's not like we desperately need the wisdom and godliness you can pour into the next generation. I was just home back in West Michigan, and I was driving past this wide open field. That's all that's around where I grew up. And I had this vivid memory of a group of third grade boys, a guy named Randy McIntyre was our Sunday school teacher. Remember Sunday school, right? It was our Sunday school teacher. And they was a, it was a group of like five squirrely third grade boys. But I remember Randy McIntyre, he was, uh, you know, had a small business, didn't have a Bible degree, didn't have, I remember how Randy McIntyre poured his life into a group of squirrely third grade boys. And I'm back home and I remember, like, I'm like, man, I remember the snowmobiling party at Randy's house with all those boys. And I remember this and driving past his old house, I remember how God used him in our life to take a five squirrely third grade boys and a little Baptist church in West Michigan and he just poured his life into us. We need that from you. Desperately. 
And so it means it assumes interaction with the members younger than us. Uh, You know, I'll say this too, and if you're like, I've been trying to do that, and I'm frustrated because I've hit roadblocks, then let's talk about that. How do we remove those roadblocks so that happens? Third, it guides the way we speak about the members younger than us. Millennials. They just sit in their parents' basement till 35 eating Cheetos and playing PlayStation. (laughs) Now, let me say, some of them are. But I would encourage you that most of them aren't. And so how, do, how does it guide the way that we talk? Certainly, right, where we see the opportunities to disciple the different generations, where we don't shy away from those. And we're able to have good, hard, firm conversations about those. But in general, how do we talk and speak with honor of members younger than us? Right, I'm, I'm only 30, I'll be 35 this summer, and I'm finding how easy it is to do now with, what's the one after me, like Gen Z? I'm finding how easy that is to, to kind of look on the next generation and be like, they don't get it. You know, in my wise, my wise old age of 34, they, don't, they clearly don't get it, right? And so how does that guide? Uh, last thing, it means bringing a heart to learn from the members younger than us. That might rub against you. I don't know if it does. But I'll tell you what. Even just sitting now with 20, 21, 22-year-olds, it's like, man, I have a lot to learn from them. I have a lot to understand. I have a lot to learn about the way they view biblical community and how they actually live that out. And so how do we bring a a learner's posture even to those younger than us? Uh, Church, all of this coming from from these couple verses, do not rebuke an older man, But encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That when we talk about being a church family, that that wouldn't just be like Christianese expressions that we use. But there would actually be a sense of we truly are seeking to honor and interact with the gospel as our centerpiece like we are Father, mother, sister, brother. And that would guide our interactions as the family of God. In the household of God, we love like family.